These tools are for you to use. Hey, I'm Dave Marr. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. My guest this week is Ramon Rivas. Ramon Rivas is a comedian, a comedian from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, Technically, he lives in Lorraine, and that's important because Ramon has doubled down on himself, on his hometown, And he is doing shit independently. He is putting on these summer shows in parks in Lorraine. He has documented his process throughout the quarantine last year and this year um, of getting the the infrastructure up to to support him doing it on his own. Um, It's really inspiring. I really love his work ethic. He's a super funny dude. I recommend you check out his work. You can check him out. You can find links to his work in the show notes. You can follow me in the show notes as well. I also recommend you check out the Patreon, especially for this episode. I think almost every um, segment has a lot of bonus content in it that I just had to chop up for time in the in the main episode here. So you can hear the extended episode on patreon.com slash Dave Marr. Later in the week, you'll also get a bonus clip if you sign up at the, uh, the $9 tier. I want to thank my pigeon-level patrons, Fred Fidawa, Susie Carroll, Kurt Chang, and Katie Llewellyn. Thank you all for supporting the show. And that is all I've got right now. So please... Sit back or pick up the pace on your walk, whatever you're doing, and enjoy this conversation with Ramon Rivas. I grab your whip and take it back to When I'm in Chi-Town, I treat it like I was reading something about how, you know, grunge was like positioned, and it's always like punk and grunge are always positioned as this like reaction to like hair metal or whatever. And the ways uh-huh. in which the hair metal bands were actually way more working class than these other more like artistic bands. And so the idea that like, like, you know, just like working class art, you know, like that working class art can be that weirdly has this polish to it sometimes, or this sheen or the, like just the populism of it where like the arty esoteric stuff, it's, it's a bummer. Cause I'm a fucking arty esoteric guy. You know what I mean? And so it's like to do that and try to do it with a working class ethos is like, a head trip sometimes you know a little bit because uh because uh, i wind up i feel like a lot of us have that um instinct in the beginning is to like find common ground and like hey do you, you, y'all ever had a girlfriend that did this oh my girlfriend did this and, and you're that that even that little those extra words of like trying to find commonality with people so that you can talk your esoteric shit <laughs> is a is a waste of energy because like I I shifted early on from like doing that to like specific. I'm just talking about me, me and what I do and what I've gone through. And then doing that, I get this weird familial feeling from people who are like, you remind me of my cousin or all the way, like the being more me gives people something to actually connect to versus me trying to connect with people in this like generic way 
where it's like that's not me, so I'm not able, I'm not going to be. This isn't strong enough to hold you if you do latch on. Yeah, no, that's so legit. I mean, like the thing, the the first show that I brought to Edinburgh, which was kind of like the kind of it was like a leveling up for me in a way. It was like, and and the whole like impetus of of this podcast is like, I went into this coma for a month, and so the whole show was just the story of the coma which is like not a particularly Mm -hmm. relatable experience you know what i mean it's like someone described it as like first person reportage of like oh well here's some shit that is interesting to you but here's what it's like like i just came back from the trenches of this weird experience which is like a more extreme version of being yourself but i definitely believe in that like universal in the specific sort of uh Yeah, man. And then even like going to Edinburgh and having to think of comedy and like seeing how they frame comedy and do their shows with like thematically or whatever, it kind of makes you think, well, how can I, you know, I don't know how much of your show was stuff you'd already been talking about, or maybe it changed the way you use things you had been doing. But when I went, the show I did, it was called Unbecoming. It was trying to account how I navigated sex from my social position. Right. And then I'm, so that's what I was doing the show about. And then my social position changed in Edinburgh because people perceived me as white. And so. Right, 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 right. I remember hearing you. Yeah. Say this. Yeah. And it fucked with the, the whole concept of my show. Cause it's like, okay, I did the show to try to account for my social position, but I'm running it in a place where my social position changed arbitrarily to other people, not to myself. And so, (laughs) so then it's like, but the, the logic of it was still like, I've always talked about just like kind of being broke, navigating (laughs) dating and hookup culture, smoking weed, my family. And so then the thesis of my show was how my financial poverty impacted my emotional poverty. And so even just talking about the same things, but forcing them through that point kind of matured the the point of view. Like you said, it leveled you up. It just made me evolve in a way where I don't know if I would have hit that space in America chasing like a showcase set or chasing like a club booking or, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, getting out of the, uh, you know, just how the rat race is here and seeing how it's appreciated as an art and a craft over there makes you more willing to be esoteric and not like, you know, chase the hottest flavor of the week style. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, because especially in Chicago, like you see, you know, the, I love the Laugh Factory. They're they're great. Curtis is one of the few managers in the country who like watches and like pays mm-hmm. attention. And like, um, and so sometimes you'll see people who maybe have less experience than you or uh, less tenure in that space just get just get just get past. And you might be like, oh, well, I guess I gotta be like them more. Um, and, and it's hard to break that mindset when you're when you're in the sludge, uh, but getting out to somewhere like Edinburgh or even popping out on the road to be like, oh, yeah, this going to all these sad open mics and feeling like <laughs> yeah. I'm slamming my head against the wall when I go in front of an actual crowd, it works. So I'm not crazy. 
<laughs> what do you hope happens when you die? What do I hope happens uh, from a personal perspective or for the people around me? Well, so that's kind of like the choice you have. I'm interested in okay. both, but whatever po- whatever springs to your mind. Uh, I mean, hopefully uh, when I die, there's something to uh, leave the family and people I love uh, some form of solvency or equity. So like uh, I'm slowly getting to the point where like, hopefully I'll get like life insurance soon. So like if I die, like, cause sometimes I'm, my family's working class, like top of the lower class. So it's like some shit, like, you know, you're comfortable until someone needs braces or until someone's health goes awry or until something, some emergency pops up and just knocks you down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so sometimes someone dying can be that because it's like, oh, we got to get the funeral. We got to get the casket. We got to get, oh, they had all this debt. Oh, they had, you know, like all that shit pops up. And I, I live a very, like, I, I don't have a kid or like a, a, an, a pet because I can barely afford to keep myself alive. So I don't, I don't like being a burden to people. Um, so I definitely, like, I know it's going to be an emotional burden on, on the people around me. Um, but I would hope by the, by the time I die, I've, I've got life insurance. So the immediate costs are taken through. And then like, by then, like I have this residual income, so can set that up to get past to, to them and like give my nephews and nieces a little bit of money every month and give my mom and dad, like, you know, my dad's work has to work eight more years so he can get like. 200 more dollars a month in social security. Yeah. So <laughs> if I can, you know, divvy up what I've been able to generate uh, off of my work and my labor, if that can get passed on to everyone around me, that that's what I want. Like, that's what I want to happen is for them to just be cool and like, damn, he ain't here like smoking weed, eating our snacks, but like <laughs> we can, we, we can, we can, we remember him every month when this deposit hits. From these jokes um, about a, smoking weed, eating our snacks. From from these jokes about the family, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. I, <laughs> um, and then as, as far as like a personal thing, I hope that it's, uh, I hope it's some form of deja vu, like um, how do I put this? Like people do DMT because it uh, and it releases the thing that bef- the, makes your life flash before your eye. Uh, that gets released from your brain when you do DMT. So that's why I don't mm-hmm. do DMT because I'm like I don't want to I don't want to need that and not have it. Uh, <laughs> if there's only a certain amount of it. In oh, brain. <laughs> okay, um, okay, okay. And but by that same token, the way your life flashes before your eyes, I hope it just knocks me. Like you ever been in a life moment and you're like, I've been here before, but like, it's brand new. Um, I haven't. See, I know like people talk about it. I have weird things where I'm like, this feels outside of my life a little bit, but not that whole, like, remember, uh, like I'm genuinely It's never like a, it's, it's never a firm remembering. It's just like, I feel like I've had this conversation before. I feel like, like I remember this tree, like just like a weird, like, and sometimes the way my brain works is like, I'll, cause I, I feel like you, maybe you meet so many people, like, I'm not going to remember your name, but like, I'll remember like, Oh, 
we were outside and you had just gone on a trip. Like I'll remember all these weird details around it, but not the actual thing. Right. Um, but I hope it, if, and if like, so I hope it's like a loop, like you die and you get just like reincarnation to a certain extent, but it's just like, this could have just been like, my whole life could just be a dissociative moment from someone else's life. that's already in process. Um, <laughs> just cause like, I, 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 I like the, I like the concept that everything's connected and nothing, you can't destroy energy and I, I, life is nothing except an expression of energy, at least from my like outside perspective. Um, and, and so it's like, you trying to figure out the science and the like the spiritual holistic side of things. They don't always mesh. Um, but that's what, that's what I would uh, hope happens. If I'm, if I'm writing life as a TV show, that's what happens. You hope you spin off someone else's story. Yeah. 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 Pretty much. Or my stories pops back into theirs. question i usually ask later but i'll ask it now and it's a it's a premise from the the last show i brought to edinburgh the second show but so the show is like set in the afterlife and i'm like or giving people an orientation into like all the different features of the afterlife and one of them is that you get to fully relive one memory so it's not like Mm. the rest of your memories wiped it's not like you're stuck there but you have to choose just one memory that you can fully pop down into and completely relive whenever you want, as many times as you want. It's just like a room that you can open and, and okay. enter and exit whenever you want. What okay. is that memory? I was just gonna ask I was just gonna ask if it's a memory you're trapped in like Groundhog's Day. No, 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 no. not, not with like the that. variables, but it's st- okay. So unless you want to exactly- Okay, so, or uh, everything, the day plays out the same, but you can find the different rivets in it and like operate differently within it, or you're trapped living it exactly as it was. Well, the idea is for it to be pleasant, unless you want it to be unpleasant. So ideally not no, trapped. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trapped is a weird, but in the concept of infinity, trapped, I don't know. Sure, um, sure, sure, sure. So I guess the memory, because a lot of times I find, because I'm, uh, I'm not like anxious, but I overthink a lot, which maybe that's the same thing. I'm just, re- you know, <laughs> right. co- relabeling it. Um, but, um, a lot of times, like in the moment, I'm not able to enjoy things because I'm like, you know, especially like at a show, for example, like run, like, uh, this past Saturday, like a bunch of my family wound up coming out. Cause one of my cousins had a, a graduation party. So a bunch of them came over, um after after that and like watch the show so like a big chunk of the crowd was like my family which was like oh cool um and then like one of the comics who was in from chicago like his mom drove out and like you know like seeing her like watch him be proud like that was cool um and then you know like my my niece and my nephew were there helping me and like my niece take pictures and like it's a really cool moment but i'm like uh, this motherfucker's running like, all right, let me get this music mm-hmm. ready for the next thing. Hey, you good? Do you need anything? You Like, I'm too divided in trying to give everyone a little bit of something that I can't really sit back like, this is dope. Um, but I can look back on it and feel nostalgic. 
Um, and so explaining that, like the moment that I felt that most was when I did my Comedy Central half hour. Uh, it was the first thing I ever got to do that was like really like major, like legitimate. Um, and like everyone else who did it, like it was like their managers and their agents or their like significant others. And I barely making enough money to pay my rent, like running these little, the reason I got noticed is from running these little itty bitty shows with the vibe I had described to you earlier. Um, and, you know, as I would travel, I would meet people who I would bring through town. Um, and kind of just filling this weird crater that exists between the comedy clubs that already exist in town. Like just people they weren't booking, I'd have them. And so uh, I got asked to do a half hour and everyone else down there had like their their loved one or their, their significant other, their like manager, agent. And like I flew down like my mom, my dad, my sister, her three kids who had never been on a plane before. And so... I was there and like, like just that whole run of getting ready for that. Cause like I, I got to just run a bunch of shows in Cleveland that I just pop up shows. And if people came, I ran my, what would be my special and just had other comics on. So just like that feeling of like, you know, the audience that had slowly supported me over the years, like kind of pulling, pulling up and like, you know, uh, people I'd seen go from like fuck buddies to like dating to married. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like that. I don't really know. I couldn't tell you what your favorite fucking color is, but like you were, <laughs> you were like, there. like, there's like, if I could relive the moments all over, like I'd be like, I'd go more like, okay, this time I was like, what's, what's your deal? Like what's going on with you? Like, why, why do you come to this weird thing? Um, but where was in, the tape? New, Or New Orleans. Okay. That's what I thought. New Orleans. Um, and so like, you know, I, I, the, my family got there and, uh, they were all hungry. So like, uh, we ate snacks backstage and then I wanted my niece to watch a partner and Shirley tape her set. So we all sat there and watched a partner tape. And then we went to like a real fancy seafood restaurant and no one liked their food. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then like they were at, I got them an Airbnb, like a little outside of town. So they went back to the Airbnb and then I went to the, or I went to the after party uh, and was just like hanging out with like the other comics and like, you know, the, the executives, all the shit, just eating snacks, being high. Um, and then like the next morning I had to do like, I went and got a massage because like my shoulder was tight from traveling. Okay. And then like, had to went and got like beignets with my family and we ate them by the Mississippi. And like I had Kamal Bell had told me to like record, like document everything. So there's a little documentary series on uh, YouTube called gentle hustle. And it kind of tracks all these things. So like, I can literally go back and watch this shit and wow. like feel emotion, <laughs> feel emotions at these, like there's a moment, like my nephew, like he's walking up and then it's just like him looking at the Mississippi river for the first time. And then like the next shot, just everyone just being miserably hot, eating, <laughs> eating these beignets, <laughs> uh, by the river. And it's like, cool. But then I had to like leave and go do like press junket shit. Mm -hmm. And so it was like a lot of like juggling of like, you know, being, being, trying to get ready to do this really big thing that like you you maybe i pinned happiness on or pinned like right. this is it i made it like this is like we all good like it's all smooth sailing from here like, <laughs> clear 
um, and that whatever that moment can mean to that, because that that can be your first set of the club. That can be like asking, uh, you know, having a conversation with a, uh, someone you find attractive that like you see all the time at like a pizza place. You know what I'm saying? Like it can really like it, that can be anything. So like uh, it was that and then like soaking up my family vibes, but also trying to not let them stress me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then like trying to be present, but also like anxious and like, so, you know, but I, I smoked a blunt like a half hour before I taped and then like I had a f- really fun, loose set and then like uh, the family came to the after party and it was like I had some aunts and uncles and cousins and like a couple comics came out. So it was like I had like a big ass crew uh, of people who showed up for me, which was like really dope. Uh, so I would soak that up uh, at any time with a biscuit. Yeah, it's not. Uh, but it, it's but like, at the it, in the moment, I was like, ah, uh. right, 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 right. It's it, because it sounds like there's like a very big, like vicarious thrill for you to it that you're like getting, you know, the moment with your uh, nephew. You said right, seeing the Mississippi and yeah. shit like that feels very like magical in a way. It's almost like what parents talk about with like you know re-experiencing shit for yeah. the for the second time is like, and I mean, it's kind of beautiful and it makes us, it makes sense that you're talking about community so much because that's clearly enhancing what otherwise would just be like your lonely. And with it being like hustle shit, it could be very lonely experience, you know? Yeah. And even like, I'm, I get somewhat antisocial. Like I like people, but like, I don't drink. So like drunk people get really like grating after a while. And then like, there's always something that it's just like, all right, I should go. Um, but my, like my favorite, like ideal situation is like a party where like I'm on the grill. So I'm important and I have something to do (laughs) so I can chat with you, but I got to go. What's your coma? And I'm going to explain. Like I said, I was in this coma for a month, right? Uh, And understandably, my life changed a little bit when I I got out of the coma. So it's not what you would do if you were in a coma. It's just the idea of any moment. It can be epic or it can be really mundane where before you were one version of yourself and after you were a different version of yourself um i think it's uh it's probably a friend of mine uh like one of my childhood best friends younger sister who's like a few years younger than us so like still in like the friend group and like i would take us all to school when i started driving so like I had just started doing comedy and she'd always been able to sing, but had been like taking it more seriously and like recording songs and like playing out more and like doing shit like that. And then um, she got drunk and died in a drunk driving accident. And so I remember feeling like, okay, I don't want I don't want to have that unfulfilled, like, uh, if, uh, you know, if she had been able to keep going, she could have accomplished like so much. 
Um, and so doing this thing, I was bad. I was bad at comedy. You know what I'm saying? Like most of us are the first, however many years. Um, and, um, but I was like different and whatever. Like there was just something that felt compelling to keep going. Um, and I was like, if I can be functionally broke the way I'm used to having grown up and like, I don't mean like my, my parents were middle-class when they were married, but when they were divorced, one was like a little above the poverty line. The other was like skirting under it most of the time. So that's what I'm used to is like lowered sense of wants and needs. So I can feel a sense of abundance and just kind of like being able to hustle up a little bit of money. Like, Oh, I can do this contracting job and make a hundred bucks. My mom, I can do massages and make, you know, however much money. So like, I'm like, I could, I could do comedy that same way in the honor of what my friend wasn't able to do. And then I stopped drinking and then it was very difficult to navigate dating when everyone wants to go drinking on your first date. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, everything, you're not getting paid in comedy, but everywhere is like, you have a free bar tab or here's some drink tickets. So it's like, okay, well, maybe I should drink. Um, and I remember after a bad show one night at a venue, I was helping my buddy run shows at that like they knew I didn't drink. And I got real drunk and like I blacked out and drove home and I don't remember driving home. I just remember coming to like bleeding in uh, my bathroom mirror and uh, I had driven home over like a bridge uh, and then like down this highway, I smashed my car into a steel guardrail, like a mile from my house, like right by my old high school and like uh, a little more to the right. And I would have hit a telephone pole, but I hit it just right to where like I literally backed my car up and drove home after smashing this guardrail. And like, I still have a scar, like my teeth punched through, like under my lip. And like, I was just like, oh, I don't, I don't like drinking. I don't need this. So like that, my, I stopped because of my friend, but then I started because of the ecosystem around me and the, uh, I don't want to say societal pressure, but the societal expectation to participate in consuming alcohol is like a real thing you feel once you try to not consume alcohol Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh (laughs) and um i um you know just was cool opting out and like though those two moments were kind of you know one was like let me treat this thing more like uh and and you know uh, a full-time non-paying job i know it's not gonna pay me but like you know I could work at the fucking for anybody and feel as devalued as I feel in comedy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and uh, but be able to thrive and stand out and endure without like if success in any other field, I need a degree. I need experience. I need this. I need that here. I could, could literally just be refining a thing and like doing like just follow through like the, mm-hmm. the 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 one thing i've learned about like watching everyone that i've happened to come across and like their trajectories and things is like the people who found something and were just like i'm gonna 
ride this out. Like the there's a show on Showtime right now, Flatbush Misdemeanors, uh, by Kevin Iso and Dan Perlman. And I, that was like a web series they were doing in like 2013, 2014. Mm-hmm. And I remember like running into Kevin over the years and being like, how's that, how's that going? He's like, man, we got gotten a few festivals, but then we keep having like people being like, all right, like people would be like, so what you about to do with it now? And it's like, well, y'all are the people with money. Just give us <laughs> So it was like seeing this, the, the, the trial and error and success and failure within the process and then I, I think in 2018, uh, they showed it at uh, Montreal uh, and it premiered on Showtime this year. So that's an eight year of them just not giving up, not trying to pivot and do something that they're like, no, this is fun. We, we like doing this. This is funny. I'm proud of what we made with this. I want to keep making more. How, and they were, I don't know what percentage of their focus it was, but they never let it stop spinning. If it's like the plates on the, on the sticks. Right. Right. They, know, right, they right. never were like, fuck that one. I'll just keep these other ones going. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to put that, um, like Malcolm Gladwell type of outlier, mm-hmm. you know, but also understanding that like as the creative person you dictate what you can put into that moment right and that's what you got from her accident and death and then this other your accident was was it just purely the not drinking that was like enough and it was it was it was like i'm good on that i'm i'm uh and i was working at like a law firm and i remember being like oh i just i hit a deer um and then just being just being um i just remember just like because like before that i had like the law firm was like i was like a copy clerk and i'd made copies i pulled files i'd like open the mail like nothing major at the law firm um but they were like oh we want you to you know take over for the it person when she retires so that was like a a five-year carrot you know what I'm saying? Like, just because I default, I was the youngest person in the building. <laughs> I was already better at computers than almost everyone in the building just <laughs> right. because I was the youngest person in the building. Um, and so it was like that path was there and existed. And it would have been like, you know, 35000 for the next few years and then like up to like maybe sixty seven. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, and 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 then I remember just being like, I'm good. <laughs> like I had, um, because I was like, I'm just going to full-time non-paying job this. And a buddy of mine from college, like randomly ran like a nonprofit in Chicago. Um, and he was like, Hey, do you want, I, I need a chef's assistant. He was like, all you have to do, is you have to prep breakfast four days a week. You have to do dinner two days a week, but you have every night and weekend off when you have free room and board in Chicago for three months. All right. So I was like, yeah. And I told the law firm, I was like, Hey, I got this offer to do this job. And like, I can do a bunch of comedy. So like, I think I'm going to take it. And I'd seen them hire clerks for the summer who just come in while someone's having a baby or doing different shit. Like I've seen them and they were like, Oh, well you got to like, reapply for your job when you come back and like all this like we're fucked up shit 
And but I remember the the people in the law firm were like, we're so proud of you, like doing your thing. Like they had to put a card together for me, put a bunch of money in it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I was like, thank y'all. Like I appreciate it. But then when I got my last check, I was like, hey, I didn't get my vacation pay. And they're like, oh, you didn't fill out the paperwork to let us know you wanted <sighs> it. And I, th- that's another one of those pivot points where I'm like, man, fuck the infrastructure. Because the infrastructure doesn't care about me the way the people care about me. Because the people I delivered the mail to or like would wash dishes or have these little, how's the weather? Oh, it's crazy. How's your weekend? Blah, blah, blah. All those little mm-hmm. chit chats. They were going to, they actually like, well, we, we're going to miss you. But the system is like, oh, he gone. How can we keep as many of these uh, resources as possible? Yeah. Because it's a plus, it's a, it's a plus or minus situation versus like valuing the person. Uh, and growing up in where I did in Ohio in Lorain, Ohio, where Tony Morrison's from here, but it was like steel yard, shipyard, auto industry, and all of those industries collapsed and died my whole life. So I was born in the eighties when the shipyard went away. And then I remember in like when NAFTA passed, that's when like Ford started moving their plants and then the steel mill like sold uh, several times. And then they kept like weaning the pension away from the steel. So it's like the system like soaked up the city and then left, left. And then everyone's like, well, Lorraine's shitty because there's nothing there. And it's like, well, there's still a bunch of people here. <laughs> right. There's still like it's it's known as the international city because it's still to this day home to over a hundred different cultural and ethnic groups. Because all those factories would go recruit in different countries to try to suppress American wages. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it, it's this weird thing where like there's still people here, but there's no value in people to the system or to like what we value. Uh, as a society, the, if it's just people, it ain't it ain't there. If we can put those people right. to work, then yes, they, they have value. But right. in, in and of itself, they don't. Uh, that's something that, uh, speaking on death, like when I was in D.C. last time, it blew my mind to like kind of realize and look around and be like, damn, they built a whole economy uh, honoring the sacrifice of people whose lives they didn't value when they were alive. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, oh, that's a heavy like thought uh, uh, to have like as 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 there's all this this critical race there. It's like I give a fuck about everything, but it's like the um, uh, even like the the uh, uh, Lincoln thing. It's like y'all assassinated <laughs> y'all assassinated him. The MLK thing, you assassinated him. It's like all these soldiers. It's like you didn't, you cut all their benefits. And like, you know, it's just all these weird things where it's like, but like when they were alive, you didn't give a fuck. But the the concept of their sacrifice and the concept of their life is something you can value, but not their actual life. It's and a it very, sounds like that's a destination that you got to by in these moments taking your shit more seriously and valuing your own life in a way. Yeah. Trying to. And it's like, cause if I'm not going to value it, no one else is. That's the, that's another one of the things I got from my show is like, it's hard to care about someone else more than you care about yourself. And if I barely care about myself, 
or I only love myself in that protective, like, if I don't, bad things will happen. So I begrudgingly love myself. It's hard to have the emotional equity for anyone else in your life, whether it be a family member, whether it be a significant other, whether it be someone you might want to date or someone you're hooking up, whatever it is, you may just be coming in insufficient way under where their minimum is. And that's, that's just muscle memory on your part. So it's like getting that up has been something I've been trying to do. Um, you know, instead of feeling like crushed by all these experiences or like whatever, it's just adapting, which is something I feel like I just picked up from my family. It's like, you you can't control what's around you. You can just control what you do. Uh, and so that's how I tried to like, and sometimes that's very detrimental to me. And sometimes it's very <laughs> protective and sometimes it's, it's prosperous. It's a very, it runs the gamut. Uh. <laughs> paint your hell like a customized for you hell everybody's drunk it's very similar to like uh, St. <laughs> Patrick's Day in most cities um, just a bunch of drunk aggressive irrational white people um <laughs> who and i mean white people in the there's white people and then there's people who are white like there there's you either identify as a person first and then you're white or you're white and then a person um it, it, the the and the white before a person people are the worst um so it's a bunch of them drunk irrational uh upset um and um, I can't blend in, uh, which is something I, do, I don't know if that's just as it was someone who lives most of their life having to assimilate to a certain degree out of like a safety for myself and for others perception of me, um, uh, having to, having to do that, but having no, there's no way I can. Mm-hmm. Um, because this drunk, irrational group of people is not going to uh, accept me. And, um, I am blocked in, uh, from leaving, uh, and I'm thirsty and I have, I have bad food available, uh, but it's food. I have whack people to talk to, but they're people to like, it's just like, just stuck. And just the worst situation where uh, uh, you, yeah, just it's social hell uh, mm-hmm. and then pain on top of that, obviously. So like it's hot. I'm thirsty. It's hot. I'm, there's nothing to drink but alcohol. So it's like I either have to be consumed and join this crowd of people I don't like uh and just lose become a drunk irrational person to get lost from the hell aspect of it uh-huh uh or uh just have to just <sighs> all right <laughs> you know what i'm saying because at a certain point i think you'll realize that like you're not gonna die and you're not gonna get anything to drink you're just gonna have to feel thirsty and uncomfortable 
forever. forever. And then every once in a while, someone's going to fight you. Someone's just going to punch you in <laughs> yeah. the face because their yeah, girl's yeah, talking yeah. to you or because something happened, whatever. Um, and just that's just and then like you get knocked out, you wake up and it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm it's funny. I'm thinking of specific bars in one specific neighborhood of Chicago when you're talking about this. Are there specific There's a lot there's a lot places there's, in your mind. There's a thinking? lot of places that feel like that. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm like I got to go. Yeah. I just do, you know, I'm just I'm good because like you generally nothing good comes of that. Like there my early tenure of going to Chicago was super fun cuz everyone was out drinking and doing these mics mm-hmm. and hanging and kicking it. But then you'd wind up at like the 4 a.m. bar and it's like, mm. oh, this is all just bad decisions. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all could have gone home. And then like now, you know, uh, that I'm in uh, a relationship and like I don't, I'm not chasing things as much as I used to. Like I'd be, and I'd be out. I'm like, well, I don't drink. I'm not trying to, you know, holler at any women. Like, what am I out for? Like I ordered right. to go food. I've talked to everyone I want to talk to already. <laughs> They're all getting drunk to the point where they're just going about their business. I could go, like I could stay and like keep, like and when I'm like in New York, I'll like stay because generally if I stay, something dope will happen like right after I leave. But if I'm home and I'm at a mic, all right, I'll see Peace. y'all. Like I'm, yeah. I'm good. Um, just because, like, I don't know. Like you, like I think we touched on it a little bit earlier from a different perspective. But when you're like damn, all this time I was here don't matter because I wasn't here waiting to go up at this sad mic. Instead, I was like living a life. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that that, that uh, early on in comedy, you're just so consumed and so blind. You have your blinders up mm-hmm. so that you can keep doing it. Um, and I feel like life, sometimes life fucking feels like that where you're just like, fuck it, man. I don't, I don't want to get out of bed today. I don't want to fucking, I don't want to do shit, but just, you just get out of your head or get out of your house. And you're like, cool. I did something small. And that that's another thing. I think why food is so important is because like, even when you broke, you can afford to eat your feelings. <laughs> that is the show. Thank you so much for listening check out Ramon, check out me. If you haven't rated the podcast on iTunes or you haven't reviewed it, please do that. Um, I know iTunes isn't the thing anymore. Apple Music, fucking whatever, man. Rate it wherever. Tell people about it. That's the important thing. Uh, If you can join the Patreon, it'd be much appreciated. And until next week, remember, you are a mist. Miracles. You can do them, have faith, you are human, only human, and human beings they do miracles.